Why are you in college? If a Jesuit priest could go back to his freshman year of college, what would he tell himself? If two Georgetown chaplains could give their advice to a Georgetown student, regardless of their religious affiliation, what would that piece of advice be? Well, you're about to find out as I talk to Reverend Bryant Askfig, aka Revo, and Father Gregory Shinden as they give their take on favorite sodas, children, and working for the greater glory of God. Enjoy. Can you tell me about yourself? Starting with Revo. 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 Well, you know, the joke is that I'm from everywhere because born in Iowa, raised in Texas, upstate New York where my parents live, educated out in Boston, the East Coast. Um, Wife, four kids. But, you know, I, uh, Protestant chaplain, got ordained, got, felt the call of ministry and moved in, uh, accepted that call and became a ordained United Methodist minister. And yeah, my uh, wife did her PhD here at Georgetown because she's so much smarter than me um, in developmental neuroscience. And uh, when she was doing her degree at Georgetown, I started getting to know campus ministry and uh, had an opportunity to start work here. And, just got more and more involved, and now I'm here full time. So, Protestant chaplain at Georgetown University. Pretty nice. But just a uh, pilgrim along life's journey. Right. His way. I know. I like the pilgrim. Mm. Very Ignatian. Father Shinden just held up a book. What is it? Pilgrim's Journey, the autobiography of St. Ignatius of Loyola. All right. So, I think you know a little bit about St. Ignatius. A little bit. Tell me about yourself. Um, let's see. Rust Belt, Midwest, grew up in Detroit, moved to the East Coast. A couple years after undergrad, uh, living and working here, when over the course of my 20s, kept coming back to the idea of religious life and mm-hmm. specifically kept coming back to the Jesuits because I went to a Jesuit university for undergrad. Right. Uh, entered the Jesuits, I'm coming up on my 19th anniversary on the 23rd of August as a Jesuit. Been ordained since summer 2008. Uh, first assignment as a priest was over at Holy Trinity Parish mm. for five years. Uh, went overseas to Southeast Asia for a year and then in 2014, returned to Washington and here to Georgetown University as Catholic chaplain here at the main campus. That's it in a nutshell. All right. When you think of years of ordination, do you start from when you became a deacon or an elder? No. You count start, I start with Presbyterian. priestly, priestly, priestly ordination. Right. Yeah. Because ordination to the diaconate was about six, eight months before priestly ordination. Oh, so yeah, we do a three-year period. Right. So my first, my first uh, ordination, or like not first ordination, but that the beginning of that that diaconate ordination was in '98. Okay. And then in 2000 and I think 2000, 2000, yeah, 2003 received received my my presbyter, my elders' orders. So. It's always that debate of like, which date do I count? Because I started, that that was when I was under full-time assignment. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, when I moved into service was in 98. But really, ordination, 2003, then to full ordination, 2003. So it's always that question of which one, which one, which anniversary counts. Right. Well, it's funny, as a Jesuit, well, if you go down to the Jesuit cemetery here yeah. at Georgetown, mm-hmm. you got the three dates on every gravestone. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. You got date of birth, date of, in a sense, birth into the society of Jesus, the day the man entered the society of Jesus, and then third date, of course, is the date of birth into eternal life. So in some ways, ordination, when people talk about dates as Jesuits, they'll often talk about the date that they entered the society not of Jesus, just, yeah, really. and not the priestly ordination. Well, that's because you could be a Jesuit without having to be a priest. Correct. Mm. Jesuit brothers. Right. I mean, yeah, uh, uh, Rick Curry was a brother for years. Decades. Before he became a priest. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh-huh. And actually, I think the one who painted all the frescoes around here was always was a Jesuit all, brother. Was a Jesuit brother. But never a Jesuit priest. Mm-hmm. Mm. Right. Tell me about, Revo, tell me the story of the first time you ever had orange soda. <laughs> first time I ever had orange soda? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I like so. It's very strange these cultural alliances that seem sort of atypical, right? Um, Big Red. Do you remember Big Red soda? No. It's like a strawberry soda. It's like a. It's like Fanta, mm. uh, except like strawberry Fanta. Okay. Uh, I, they always had like that was the soda that they always had. They didn't have a lot of Coca Cola, but it was you know they would have. Like a Seven Up, or you know, like one of those fruit flavor ones. It just—it right. was an Iowa thing. Like my grand—I don't know if it was Iowa uniquely, or I mean Iowa in general, just my grandparents uniquely. Mm-hmm. That was the soda that was in the house, and so like that was—I grew up with like you know, sort of these these fruit flavored sodas versus um, uh, the other kind of sodas. It's interesting though. My father refers to soda as circus water. Um, circus water, because the only time they ever had soda, carbonated beverages, was when the circus came to town. Really, and so he, uh, so he, he grew up believing up until he was like you know in middle school or whatever that the water in the circus was was bubbly, it was bu- carbonated and, water. and so he just assumed that carbonated water was circus water, like that was the kind of water they had at the circus. Wow! And so he to this day refers to like soda as circus water circus because water. that was the water that he like he seriously believed that that was the sort of water they had at the circus. Right, right. Uh, and I imagine that in the circus, rather than having Coca Cola, which would have been sort of more the you know the soda the the soda stand, it would have been more of like the fruit flavored sort of stuff, mm-hmm. right? Heavily sweetened, just use throw some fruit juice in it. And, right, you know. right. So yeah. So I just grew up I just grew up with it. I don't yeah. know. Do you like Orange Crush? I do like Orange Crush. I was wondering. Why? I was just wondering. I don't like orange soda at all. Yeah. I don't I I'd like to do one of these days, like, and I've done this before. I do these weird, like, let's do a taste test, like blind taste test to see like whether people, like what people like. Like I've done this with cheese where you buy like sharp cheddar, extra sharp cheddar or whatever and put them all out, but don't tell people what they are and like have them taste to figure out which one they like better. I've done that. And I've been meaning, I've done that with a bunch of different stuff. Like my brother and I will sort of like, which one is actually better? Uh, I've been meaning to do that with orange soda, like Fanta, Orange Crush, um, uh, you know, sort of line up the different orange sodas and figure out which. Because I think Orange Crush has almost a more sort of vanilla cream soda flavor. It's got like a little bit of the cream soda like hint behind it. Mm-hmm. Whereas, um, whereas uh, Fanta doesn't. But you know the story of Fanta, right? No. So Germany. <laughs> I didn't in, know there was. Wind them up and let them go. <laughs> so in Germany during World War II, they couldn't get Coca Cola anymore, and so they wanted to come up with some replacement. Um, for Fanta and so they came up with that didn't require a lot and so they came up with this sort of you know Fanta is made using what was available to Germany at the time 
during World War II with sort of the like challenges with food production. So that was where Fanta came from. And, and Fanta struggled with like the celebration of its like, you know, and oh, 50th anniversary of the invention of Fanta. And there were a lot of comedians who were like, yeah, so you're celebrating the fact that you're like, you're a Nazi soda. <laughs> <laughs> Never knew it came out of Germany. Yeah. Wow. So. What is your Fanta? What is my Fanta? Father Great. It's gotta be Diet Coke. Diet Coke. Unfortunately, that's not as like <laughs> cool as Fanta. Yeah. You know, Diet Coke is just kind of plain. But I grew up in the house, um, my parents drink Diet Coke, so we grew I But did they drink Diet Coke? Did they, what's the, the pink can? The, what was that? The, the pink can? Remember there was that one soda and then all of a sudden like saccharin was like, you know, might cause cancer and everyone Not Tab. Tab! That's tab. what I was oh, thinking. Oh, that stuff of. tastes mm-hmm. like, that's what evil tastes like. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was really, really bitter. I don't remember. I, I remember. I remember like Tab. It. That was like seventies. Yeah, I remember uh, Tab. So everyone was. It was like the Diet Coke of the seventies. It was a precursor to yeah. Diet Coke. Yeah. Wow. Also, I think it was a Coca-Cola product too. I uh, probably. I don't know. I just know that Tab like all of a sudden disappeared. Right. Yeah. Like you know, the whole saccharin uh, sort of thing happened. Tab disappeared. Right. And Diet Coke was sort of quickly, Nutrisweet was invented, uh, Diet Coke and sort of a whole series of new diet beverages came shortly after that. Coke Light is what they call it in other parts. Poland. Really? Coke Light. Coke Light? Really? These are things you learn. Was there Diet Coke in Poland? There was Coke Light. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was it in the silver can? It's a diff- little different. It was in a silver can, but it had kind of this pastel, uh, it said Coke Light on it. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. That's a good segue into... Krakow. Krakow. Yes. So you went there with Dr. Wickman. Dr. Wickman. And with nine of our fellow nine boys. Of our students, yes. Uh, for World Youth Day 2016. Right. With Pope Francis and uh, a couple million of his closest friends mm-hmm. and admirers. Um, no, Krakow's a really, really, it's a, I mean, the whole experience was remarkable. And, you know, we go back to this notion of uh, pilgrimage. Mm-hmm. And it certainly wasn't. Uh, it wasn't vacation, and it was not, you know, we do immersion trips here. It was not an immersion trip either. There were immersive elements to it, mm-hmm. but it really was the notion of, in a very, very kind of concentrated, explicit way, the notion of one's faith journey. Right. Uh, and you said two million people? 2.5 showed up for the Mass. Right. I think there were about a million people who attended all the, the events the of World, World Youth Day. Yeah. Um, in a city of the the actual city of Krakow is about seven hundred thousand. So they dealt with over a million visitors, which they dealt with very very well. They had additional tram lines going, um, which worked far more efficiently with the numbers that they had. Right, and our, right. our dear metro here in Washington oh D.C. Um, but oh, Krakow, you know, fascinating city. You know, I, I was doing some reading up on the city and just. It was already established as a trading uh, center mm-hmm. by the ninth century. I had no idea. Hmm. Went back that far. And then, of course. On the river, right? Right on the uh, Vistula River, which yeah. runs, I think, through a good portion of Poland. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, remarkable experience. Uh, sleeping on gym floors and under the stars and lost luggage. Not mine, thankfully. Yeah. Uh, but again, that notion of, of, you know, all these notions of pilgrimage and two questions that really emerged, I think, for the students were, you know, what am I doing here? Mm-hmm. Why am I here? And given certain uh, issues with lost luggage and sleeping on gym floors, 
what's truly essential in my life. Right. So those were really underpinning uh, our time together, which was uh, really powerful. Yeah, really how powerful. did the students take it? You know, uh, I think they took it in some ways far better than I did. Yeah. Sleeping on a gym floor and trekking, you know, for five and a half hours out to uh, the Papal Mass. Uh, very little complaining, but to get back to the issue of carbonation, the one thing they complained about was mineral water. Mineral water. The bottled water is mineral water, and mineral water has that, but it's carbonated, and it has that minerally taste yeah. to it, and they couldn't stand it. But if that's all they complained about, that's I pretty think good. the uh, pilgrimage was uh, quite a success. Right. And thanks to much of what you did as well, Joanna. Uh, so. My pleasure. So 2019, Panama, right? Panama. Panama City in August. Wow. Who, who wants to go with <laughs> Sign up for that one. But right. yes, so the Pope, that's one the conclusion of, of World Youth Day of the Mass is that the Pope makes the official announcement and mm -hmm. it was announced. Panama City, next uh, World Youth Day in 2019. Look at that. There we go. All right. Answer cannot be Fanta. The way to, into Revo's heart is ice cream. That's mm. easy. <laughs> that was a what flavor? answer. Oh, I like vanilla with the general. I'm boring. My wife like drives her crazy. Mm. I mean, like you know, like sweet cream ice cream with uh, chocolate shavings or something like that. I mean, it, so that's sort of the you you set me up on the Fanta thing. So I'm thinking mm. food. Like right, in right, all right. honesty, it's always going to be my family. You want to weigh in my heart like my kids. Right. Nothing brings me to tears faster or moves me to sort of joy quicker than my children. Mm -hmm. um, so, which one do you love the most? I, you know, I love each of them uh, with the same sort of uh, the same depth of compassion and caring. Yeah. Like I called my when my first child was born, I called my father up that that night and said that you know um, I thanked him because I didn't appreciate how much he loved me until that moment. Mm -hmm. Because there's there's a um, there's uh, the idea of unconditional love, like we talk about it, right? right I love right. you unconditionally. But I mean, really, as a parent, like I love these four unconditionally. Mm -hmm. Like their well-being is the center of what I understand one of my principal purposes in life to be. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and you know, and so yeah, the way to my heart is my children. Mm -hmm. um, and my wife is part of that, right? Yeah, but, yeah. You know, I mean. Yeah, they're, they're What's the story when you first found out that Kari, Kari was coming? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was Halloween. Like, it was Halloween night. Um, we were like, we'd get the trick-or-treaters. It was our first year in the house. Um, yeah, I think it was our first year in the house. Um, this when you live in Silver Spring? We were living in Silver Spring. We just moved there. We moved there in June. It's October of that year. There, there are actually two aspects of that, but we're going to start with the first one. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I had the candy, trick-or-treaters coming. Uh, my wife and I were thinking about having some cocktails while we were welcoming kids. Right, and right. Like doing that whole thing. And, and she's like, you know, I just have this feeling that I should, um, should just check. And so my wife, she comes down the stairs and at the moment, like her face is like completely like... This... Like white blanched blanched and her mouth is open mm -hmm. and like I know that she's freaking out because like you know I know her <laughs> mm -hmm. and I'm like oh my gosh and then the doorbell rings and there's kids at the door wow and I'm like here <laughs> <laughs> see you later close the door <laughs> trick or treat here's some candy right 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 she's like I don't know what 
this means? Yeah. So then, like, she makes me go to the store and buy another, like, pregnancy test. Mm-hmm. Like, because she's gone through three already. And, I, and they're expensive. So I get her three more, and consistently, like, you know, it's positive. So, wow. yeah. Yeah, that's the story. I mean, the other sort of component, we, we sort of laugh in a morbid, sort of sick, twisted way. Um, my grandfather had passed away. Um, around the time that uh, conception happened and yet you know consistently like there's a death in the family and shortly thereafter I'm like wow our way of dealing with grief is to make new people in this world because like my grandfather died um, her grandmother died her grandfather her grandfather died her other grandfather died and considered like four four people right generally you can sort of track when my kids are related to sort of these tragedies in the family not not one to one Right, right right we sort of it's sort of our morbid joke that you know yeah um, and so we've told everyone like, there can be no more deaths because we're pretty much you know we mm. feel we, we feel like we have a very full family with four yeah so mm-hmm. no fifth uh, you know we'll see what God does right 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 yeah. that's very Catholic I know <laughs> and so but we will embrace the uh, I will continue to try we may just sort of uh, you know consider the implications and controlling the potential outcomes of trying. Completely understand. But I'm happy to try. (laughs) (laughs) Father Greg was one of the first people to hold Ellis, right? That is correct. Tell us about that story. Me or him? Oh, so he's showing us a picture. There's a picture right there. I think that uh, I'll let him talk about holding him. Um, uh, Greg had been here on campus. He and I had become close friends and um, we really felt like um, and I'll let him offer his thing that he walked with us through this pregnancy. Mm-hmm. There were some mm-hmm. challenges along the way, some concerns. Um, <laughs> there was an issue. There was a concern about a uh, potential cardiac. Um, the, the, the cardiac scans were not coming back real strong. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had bought tickets to go see Star Wars. Opening day. Opening day. And my wife and I, like, when I bought those tickets, I didn't know that we would have a follow-up scan to make sure that everything was okay with uh, right. Ellis's heart. Um, and so, um, you know, I didn't want to surrender my tickets, mm-hmm. but I also knew where I was supposed to be. And so, the, you know, right, sort of, right. and I was very frank with Father Greg what was going on um, and sort of said, look, if things don't go well, I'm not going because I need to be here with my wife. Mm-hmm. We need to discuss, you know, what's next and all of those sorts of things. But if things go well, I told my wife, I'm going to Star Wars. <laughs> um, and so he was he was waiting for me so we could run and catch a cab mm-hmm. to go to the showing of Star Wars um, here in Georgetown. Right, right. Um, that opening, opening, was it, it wasn't opening day, it was like the it day was, after. No, it was opening it was, day. It, it opened it, well, there was a midnight show the night before. Right, so we went on that Thursday. We went the Friday. Yeah, the Friday. Like so. a noon show, right? Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Matinee. Mm-hmm. So what happened? So we ran and caught a cab and went. Oh, so it, so it went well. Everything went well. Well, I mean, like there were like pregnancy is a like you know it's a joyful thing, but it comes with lots of anxieties. Yeah. Um, and living into those anxieties, and, and uh, Father Greg was was right there with the family through all of them. Um, mm-hmm. Made close connection with my wife. You know, another way into my heart is my wife, and he and Devin have become close. And right. and so I mean, it wasn't journeying with just me; it was journeying with both of us through this. And. Um, in fact, the day he was born, during the entire, like, I'm in the hospital, i got nothing going on. No, it's, it's, he and I are texting back and forth the entire time. Mm-hmm. Ellis is born. Um, 1147? 11, 11, uh, 1154. 54. Like, almost at midnight. Mm-hmm. 1154. And he's like, 
do you need me to come over? <laughs> like, you know. I was wide awake. He was, right, right. He was up, you know. We almost had him come over, except they were beginning to transition us to the different beds. And they, mm-hmm. you know, and then the, the, I think the nursing staff was like, we don't need extra people right yeah. now. I think they were the ones who shut, shut that down. <laughs> Um, but I mean, he and I were texting back and forth throughout the entire thing. At one point, I was like, "Put down the phone!" <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of the things that I really notice about working here at Georgetown, specifically within campus ministry, is that the relationships that you form between coworkers—it's mm-hmm. almost like coworkers is too basic a word to describe the relationship right. some people have with each other. So, yeah. Father Greg, can you kind of expound upon that? Do you agree? Do you, what do you think? Absolutely. And, and, you know, again, to just to, to go off what uh, Revo is saying here, you know, not having my own family, well, I mean, my parents and my siblings mm-hmm. and that, but um, it, it's, it's a really powerful thing to move as a Jesuit from place to place and to become fully uh, invested and uh, in love with the people with whom you, uh, yeah, co-workers, doesn't, it doesn't sum it up. Right. You know, we, we minister, all of us, uh, together, but the, um, the depth to all of that, too, you know, just, you know, you talking about, uh, Revo, the experience of walking, you know, I, walking with you through, uh, Ellis's, Ellis's, uh, birth and all of that. You know, I have nephews, and I've been through that with my sister and with other close friends. There was something, and I've said this mm-hmm. to Revo, mm-hmm. incredibly profound and very moving mm-hmm. about um, being part of that. And it was a huge privilege and a huge gift walking with you through all of that. And then, you know, here's the picture holding, you know, this little... Uh, He's so tiny. I know. He's so, I mean, look at that. He, so he is just. He's like, can I hold? Are we yeah. gonna break it? We're like, no, you're fine. Right. I've never <laughs> held a child that small. I mean, yeah. not even 24 hours old. No, not even. Um, you know, yeah. and a little seven pound, little right. 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 Holds this little creature who I had, you know, you know, seeing Devin while she was pregnant had, in a sense, known, but to see him in the world. Uh, but to be part of that was incredibly, incredibly powerful for me, and surprisingly so. I didn't expect it. Um, and intimate, I mean, from, from our perspective, intimate for us. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, in very real ways. Right. I did, you know, to the point now where my children, you know, th- there's always been this debate on, like, what they call Father Greg. Because, mm-hmm. you know, in, in sort of public circumstances, <laughs> I refer Most to people Father Greg. jackass. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, sort of like almost more uncle than, right, right, than right. like, you know, yeah. like religious figure. And like, you know, and the other thing is, you know, how do they, because of what I do, you know, mm-hmm. sort of their own relationship with religious figures is sort of messed up and skewed anyways. Gotcha. Um, but because of the way I refer to him in public all the time, they, they mm-hmm. call him Father Greg. Right. It sort of makes sense. And, right, right. And probably in, in a depth of that term, um, in ways that would be different, you know, if you just knew him in the religious circumstance. Yeah. Because, right. You know. Uh, how intimately my children now have sort of adopted it into the family. Mm. Yeah. So. Uh, early Jesuit, uh, Jerome Nadal, who was uh, you know, contemporary of, of Ignatius and, and Xavier in favor, uh, used the phrase, and it, it strikes me, and I was just talking to one of our students who was on the, the pilgrimage mm-hmm. to uh, Krakow. Uh, Jerome Nadal used the phrase that the, the world is our home. And uh, what is that sense of, what does home mean? Mm. Not just in a boat, yeah. but home is where, um, and you talked earlier about love. Yeah. It's where one is loved and one loves. And again, to experience that, you know, in, 
you know, Berkeley, California, and Chicago, and the Philippines, and Vietnam, and, you know, here uh, in campus ministry at Georgetown, that notion of always finding yourself at home, because ultimately, where there's Christ, there's love, and that's home. Right. Um, incredibly powerful. Yeah. You know, and again, yeah, it goes beyond, you know, there's, you know, the students we minister to, the faculty, but amongst um, the community here in campus ministry. Um, there's a sense of that home here. I think that sort of is the reason that you, uh, the you know, the idea of co-worker doesn't quite encapsulate right. Because right? mm-hmm. um, I've worked in uh, in other contexts, um, in in various ways, in other spaces, um, in the corporate world and whatever, right. where you have um, where you'll have friendships <coughs> with individuals you work with. Mm-hmm. Um, versus sort of a sense, um, you know, at, I think at our best, we like that boundary between like this work, you know, whatever sort of, especially in this kind of work, mm-hmm. you're right, co-worker begins because um, because of the sort of work we do and because of the sort of people we are and, and the way that we invite one another to be vulnerable, mm-hmm. to share, to um, invite students to be vulnerable. Like right, how do you invite right. others to be vulnerable if you're not willing to be vulnerable? Right. right. If we're not, we're, if we're not naturally modeling that ourselves. Yeah. And then I had a friend once who came to visit me on campus and, and, and walked around with me, you know, I'm saying hi to people. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not quite as popular as Dr. Wickman, yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but you know, I know a few people yeah, yeah. Around, around campus. Um, and he said, uh, and he commented, he's a minister, um, uh, of a church in, in the DC area. And he commented that, um, for as much as you know, they talk about community inside the local parish that we actually minister in and of the community, mm-hmm. and and I think that's probably the reason that we become that coworker is not the right term because if we're creating and forming community, that moves that means we move into community too. If we're doing it authentically, we move into community mm-hmm. with our students, with others, right. with each with each other. You right. know what I mean? Like right. that sense of community has to be broad, which means that you know. So, I mean, I think we find those spaces. Yeah. Uh, certainly, you know, some relationships become deeper than others, but the sense that we are all in this community together. Right, right. Um, and I think if the university is doing it at its best, I mean, that's part of the whole thing, right? Like, how do we live through our different diversities in community and model what we hope we can carry with us outside, which is I can be in community with a lot of different people mm. and committed to the same, you know, to a common enterprise of the good of all or whatever, you know, sort of that sense of like making the world a better place. So going, go ahead. so going off of that, um, for both of you, what is the ideal path in your mind of a Georgetown student? Like they come here and what happens? They have coffee with me. <laughs> uh, no. The ideal path, I, I think it, and this comes out of our, our Ignatian heritage, is they discover more deeply who they uniquely are mm-hmm. and uniquely created to be. And they learn to live more and more fully out of that. Yeah. In service. Right. You know, recognize their um, calling to share their unique gifts with the greater world. Mm-hmm. I think that's what it comes down to. And the, the, you know, myriad ways in which that plays out, you know, be it, you know, working for Deloitte or teaching or, 
you know, becoming a musician, you know, discovering, and it, it goes back to that, that notion uh, Pedro Arupe, of course, talks about in terms of, you know, finding your deepest desires and living out of those deepest desires, mm. you know. And, you know, that's real empowerment and that's real freedom. Right, right. Um, in a sense, that's, you know, again, I don't think we, we, <laughs> Jesuit education is not about a cookie cutter and saying you have to fit into this mold and therefore go off to do this, this, and this. Right. It's, okay, let's help form the entire person, mm. intellectually, spiritually, all of it, and then go forth and set the world on fire. Right, right, right. So, I would think that, you know, the ideal path is one of where, like, it could be really easy to avoid taking advantage of the depth that could be here. Like, you could, you could have deep, meaningful conversations with your, your friends in the dorms. Mm -hmm. um, you could, you know, be intellectually stretched in the classes you're taking, you know, have fun in the clubs or whatever you belong to. Um, but I think that students are missing out. And I tell students, like, don't miss out on the opportunities that are being developed for you here um, because you're distracted with your own sort of business or what your friends are involved with. There's so many great things that you can do that may appeal directly to you that you need to take advantage of because you've got four years to sort of explore this, right? Right, right. Um, so there's opportunity to campus ministry in other places that... that um, with individuals who've thought about, studied... Um, uh, continue to read about like how to explore this depth more and more mm -hmm. you know, a club that's doing something you might be interested in no one else is but who cares go and do that um, opportunities for retreat ministry for example in campus ministry right. um, where you can you know maybe step away from the regular to something completely different I, you know I, the ideal path is one of embracing what is being you know the opportunities available for you mm -hmm. here with depth too. I mean, because there's also that shallowness thing. Like I'm gonna do a whole lot of everything, but right, nothing right. with depth. But like really, like looking, you know, exploring self, taking advantage of a lot of opportunities, but also finding depth in the midst of those. I, you know, so I. And, but I agree, there's not one ideal path. Like well, I expect students to go through this experience to this experience, right. looking for those those different experiences. I it sort of. I really love the phrase. Um, for the greater glory of God, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, the AMDG sort of says a lot and can encompass so much. Like, why are you doing this? I'm doing it for the glory of God. Right. Like, um, which which becomes uh, bigger. But across across Gaston, for the greater of glory of God and the betterment of humankind. Right. Mm -hmm. And I love, I love the way that it puts those two together, right? Right. Because it also puts together, you know, for the Christian context, the two greatest commandments, love your, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. Mm -hmm. And it puts those same things together. Why do you do what you do? In loving God for the glory of God and in loving neighbor for the betterment of humankind. Mm -hmm. You know, so the ideal path wants, leads one to say, however any of our students define their sense of connection to creation and the creator and, you know, being, you know, to like Christian sense of like being connected with God, the creator right. for the glory of life itself, you know, it's the greater glory of life itself and the betterment of others. I mean, like looking at those two, how do we connect those two so that the path leads one to going, I'm going out to the world and I'm going to be and you know, uh, and, and I think we got to get more and more sort of concrete and, and, and specific about it. You can go and be an accountant with uh, any of the big accounting firms and it can be for the glory of God and for mm -hmm. the betterment of humankind. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's all sorts of ways that it can be. And you can be motivated and excited about it and, and seek to be better at it so that you can 
reflect that glory of creation back out into the world, that love back out right. into the world, um, in such a way that like you know speaks to the the glory and the goodness that you find in the world, as well as speaks to how you're going to do it for the betterment of all humankind. So I mean that phrase on the back of, and I'm and I'm sure Father Greg can do it in the original Latin. My Latin is not that great, but um, you know those two phrases together. You know, one on one side of the cross and the other one on the other side of the cross. Every time I'm up in Gaston Hall, like I'm always sort of thoughtful about those two phrases together. Right. Um, well, that notion of the great, what is the, what is, uh, you know, and you were touching on it right there, right? Oh, the, what is the glory of God? And it takes me back and it's everything we're talking about here. You know, St. Irenaeus, mm-hmm. you know, third, cent- third century? Yeah, third century. Um, the glory of God is is man, woman, fully alive. That's God's glory by living mm. fully out of who one is created to be. Mm. That's that's God's glory, right. you know. And notice, you know, that AMDG, Ad My Own Day Gloria, for the greater. Notice Ignatius doesn't talk about the greatest. There's this sense of the greater because for Ignatius, it's always, you know, there's not just one clear-cut path for each of us. There are you know, all sorts of possibilities. There's all sorts of good stuff. My life before I became a Jesuit was very, very good. Mm-hmm. But there was something greater in terms of how I could live my life fully and uniquely right. as a Jesuit. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's true of each and every one of us. Yeah. Lots of opportunities, lots of possibilities, lots of avenues. You know, but it's always what's gonna be the greater. Mm-hmm. You know. And to reflect and discern on that, and that's also, I think, you know, what 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 the Georgetown experience in this Ignatian tradition is about. Right. So that kind of circles back to kind of what you want that journey to be is just to mm-hmm. become yourself more fully. And we are here as one facet as campus ministry to help to facilitate. Right. Well, we're the hard people, right? To live deeply in your mm-hmm. heart, right? Right. So we're the hard people. We're the ones who are like, why are you here? Where are you going? Where do you want to go? Yeah. Like, what do you love? Mm. How do you love? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, go to academics. You're going to learn all this heady stuff. Like, we're the ones who, like, as a part of this formation of student, right? Right. It's not just content. If it was all content, then, you know, I just need Wikipedia. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Because it's 100% true all the time. Right. <laughs> Always. I need to see if you have with it. Yeah. Father Greg, if, That's the first Father Greg needs a Wikipedia page. This is, I'm going right. to there, there, there you go. There there you go. go. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so one of the reasons why I wanted to start this was because throughout my first year of working here, there was, it was almost an entire other world of people in campus ministry and people, you know, throughout Georgetown and various departments. And these conversations happen all the time. They happen all the time. And I always learn something from it. I benefit and my life is better for it, you know, but I know that 99% of people are not going to hear this. And even with, you know, me bringing a microphone in here, I don't know who this audience is. I don't know if this is something where it's going to come out 20 years from now and, you know, we'll all be nice and old. Um, you know whether students will listen to this whether it'll be mostly alum I don't know who this is for but just something told me that this is important to Mm. um, get down and have concretely and this conversation you know is a perfect example and you know it's confirmation that you know the 
the hunch may be correct. Um, and I think that was what I meant when I'm talking about like the path that a student should take. Mm -hmm. like they're missing out on these conversations. These conversations are going all the time. Right. People are thinking about this stuff all yeah. the time. Mm -hmm. um, and I agree with you. A lot of students are able to move through their education here without recognizing that there are people who would be happy, who are primed, who are trained to have that, that conversation with them right. too. Yeah. I think there's a car or something. Yeah. It's one of those carts. Probably a Jesuit. <laughs> Father Shum, watch out. Father Shum. <laughs> <laughs> Used to work for NASCAR. <laughs> oh, that's you like that one? Oh, we're gonna, yeah. we're gonna use that uh, one. Absolutely. Father Greg, thinking back on your college experience, what year would you go back to? If you could give advice to your younger self, which year? <laughs> would you go back to and what would you tell him? Mm. Going back to my own undergrad experience. Right, your own undergrad I could experience. go back. Knowing what I know now, if I could go back to a certain year. Um, it's, that's hard to say. I, you know, my initial reaction is to go back to where I was freshman, my freshman year, mm -hmm. uh, in terms of, again, I, I started out as an, an accounting major mm -hmm. in undergrad. I, numbers scare me. <laughs> I don't like numbers, but I thought it was the practical thing to do, all of that. And sophomore, first semester sophomore year, I was taking accounting, statistics, econ, all this stuff that uh, I was miserable over. And my... My right? Did that just blow your mind or yeah. what? Right? That's My great point showed it. <laughs> I was miserable and I was uh, finding all sorts of other things to occupy my time. <laughs> um, part of me says I'd go back to um, little freshman Greg Shandon and say, you know what, do what you really love to do. Mm. Um, and just to simply avoid the, 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 the difficulties and, and the challenges of all of that. Uh, but I think it was by going through all that really awful stuff, you know, in terms of being in a major that I, I, I was not suited for, right. was not making me happy. Um, it was only by going through it that I came to the point where it's like, you know what, I need to be a lit major and I don't know where that's going to take me. Um, maybe if I go back and say, you know what, just, just, just move a little quicker in terms of embracing what you really love. Hmm. That might be where I would go back to. Because once I did that, the rest of uh, the rest of undergrad really was, uh, was a great experience. Not right, that that right. wasn't a great experience, but uh, once, you know, again, it's all about finding one owns one's own voice. Mm -hmm. And that's really what it came down to. Revo? Well, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, the challenges I have, probably the one time, although two times, I, so the pragmatic piece, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I would tell my younger self, and this was between freshman and sophomore year, that you have plenty of time to live in your own apartment and cook your own food, live in the dorms, it's easier, people are cooking you food. And I know everyone hates dorm food, but I mean, and I was in a big like industrial, like there were, you know, we were in double rooms, double and triple rooms, mm -hmm. we had the cafeteria downstairs, cafeteria exactly like you're thinking of it. Mm -hmm. I know that, you know, students will complain about Leo's, like, they have nothing on my experience. <laughs> to school like it's meatball day yay meatball day and I went like that was it that was the option that was the only option uh, and then a salad bar you know there was like oh, always salad. you know there was like the whatever they were serving and mm. the salad bar right and that was and then the cereal like bank you know bank of cereal if you need you know 
Um, so like, you know, Leo's to me seems amazing. Although, you know, I will admit they always had chocolate milk. Leo's done mm. it up. And when I come to cafeteria, I want chocolate milk. Um, as a chaser for the Fanta, right? Oh, well, they didn't have soda. <laughs> Ours didn't have soda inside the, the cafeteria. You had like water, milk, or juice. I don't remember them having a soda. No, we didn't machine. have soda. So, um, so I mean, that, like, that's the one pragmatic piece of advice. Right. You know, and there were a couple of times in my college career, I'm like, I'm moving into you know, an apartment with friends. Like, move into the dorm. Because mm. it's like, it's, it's, and I know Georgetown's a little bit more challenging with like, you know, the expectation and, you know, and whatever, but, and, and the challenges with having housing. But um, there's plenty of time to live on your own. There's plenty of time to cook your own food. You don't right, need right. to do it for four years. Like, let yourself worry about less, mm-hmm. you know. Um, don't worry about whether the bathrooms get cleaned on a regular basis. Someone's cleaning the bathrooms, you know, the garbage gets out. But let someone else worry. You know, worry about less for a little while. Right. Um, if I could go back, I'd go back to my little freshman self. I mean, I think everyone would like to go back to their freshman year. Yeah. Um, and like there were mistakes that you made, you know. Um, I'd go back to my freshman self at the University of Iowa. Now, granted, like if I was able to go back and talk to myself then, I would not be where I am now probably. <laughs> And that would be like a big challenge, right? Because right? a lot of my, who I became was because of the mistakes I made exactly. as a first year student at the University of Iowa, mm. um, who ended up like basically dropping out of college. Um, so, uh, you know. Do you want to expand upon that a little bit? The, about dropping out of college? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I was, you know, I, I dropped out to join a rock band. I had visions of like, you know, like stardom. But I mean, it was coupled with like, Wait, first off, first off, is there music available to be listened to? You know, there is currently a $250, like, pool, if you can find any recordings of my band from Arizona. (laughs) Because as far as I know, available online, there are no recordings of the band. What was the name of the band? The the name of the band was The Fifth Man, but there was a movie that came out by that same name, uh, like five or six, seven, eight years ago. Mm -hmm. And so if you try to Google anything, that comes up. It used to be like, if you Google The Fifth Man, and I know some of the band members, so I'd look up some of the band members, Mm -hmm. like you may, there was like an article about a band that my band became that mentioned Uh they used to be The Fifth Man, Um, but it didn't include any music. And it was out of uh, Arizona, so it was like, Mm -hmm. you know, magazine out of Arizona reporting on a band there in Arizona. Um, but, you know, that was, I, that was a decade ago. Yeah. Um, so, but there is, there are students who've been looking for this music for a while. Um, $250. $250. So who finds it. All right. There we go. So, good luck. Heard it here. Um, there was, a, we had a student who's, who had family involved with the LA music scene and like mm-hmm. Paris, Phoenix and LA are close enough that the scene sort of intermix a little bit right. and they were convinced that they would find something and they still haven't wow so, what instrument or were you I was singing? lead singer alright yeah All so right. I've been writing like poetry and so they asked me to write poetry for the music so they could have lyrics and then like I you know of course had visions of fame and stardom so right. but I mean like the lead up to dropping out of college so that's the way the story goes when mm-hmm. I talk to students but I mean the lead up to dropping out like you know it's, it's much older like a lot of these big decisions we make like have their basis and stuff that goes back right right, right. so when i got to college i was pre-med um and i found science classes you know pretty easy and so boring i mean like they were like they didn't excite me intellectually right. um because it was like rote memorization do this stuff i mean probably the most exciting class i took on the science side was on my advanced biology course um and that had to do with because we were doing like you know actual uh 
um, dissections and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Stuff was sort of you know practical hands-on stuff. Right, right. Um, but because I wasn't as intellectually involved, I wasn't as committed. And so I didn't always go to my classes because mm-hmm. like, I was so busy exploring <laughs> the social aspect of life, mm-hmm. um, finding other things to do, mm-hmm. as uh, Father Shin so nicely put it. Mm-hmm. So I'd set myself up for the university to disinvite me to come back um, <laughs> when I finally like, you know, left school. Right. I mean, because I didn't officially leave. I just sort of stopped going. Mm-hmm. And they sent me a letter saying, by the way, you stopped going, so you're not invited to come back for a year. Right. Uh, and, you know, and so like... Um, so going back to my freshman self is, you know, your, your obsession about the social mm-hmm. is a disorder. Like your disorder, you're, you're getting, you're confusing this thirst for community um, with sort of why you're here. Mm. Um, and that some of those people who have that same hunger also are dealing with their own disorders. And, and because of that, you know, they'll, they'll feed off of one another. You'll be confused about what you're doing. You'll, you'll be invited to... Um, participate in stuff that may not necessarily like release your whole self right mm-hmm. that you know sort of invested in a slice or a small part of who you can be right. and that those who are most invested with you becoming more than you are are the professors that you're avoiding being in, you right. know, mm-hmm. in, in relationship with um, mm-hmm. and so if I could go back to my freshman self it's you know you're investing time in the wrong place yeah um, yeah social is important but it's not it's not the most important. Mm-hmm. And I think that was hard for me as a freshman to figure out. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, it's one facet, and it's an important facet, but it's not the whole thing. But I mean, you know, taking high school students whose social life in some ways has been defined by where mom and dad live and whatever, and you're turning them loose to like sort of make their way on their own, right? Mm-hmm. And like, and in my day, you know, your parents dropped you off and then they're like, hey, see you later. Bye-bye. They drove away. Right, there was right. no like sort of orient- orientation was picking your classes with your advisor and get ready. Yeah. And it, and it was like the people pledging fraternities and sororities. Mm-hmm. You know, it was there wasn't there wasn't a sense of your parents involvement in the same way or, or whatever. It was like, yeah, my dad. I mean, I vividly remember we drove to Iowa City um, the next morning and we like we stayed at the hotel. Actually, the hotel was booked, so we ended up sleeping in a car at a rest stop. And, you know, drove me to school the next morning, dropped my stuff off, moved it into the dorm. He checked into the hotel. Um, I went and had lunch with him at the hotel. I think we both took a nap there. And then, you know, he, and like, and then I was busy with all of the pre-orientation stuff and he left. Mm-hmm. And that was like, that was the extent of my parents' involvement with my education. Like, my orientation, not my education, they're very involved. Right, right. Um, but yeah, I think I confused the social with why I was supposed to be there. Mm-hmm. And it was important, but I it wasn't it's not the most important. And I think it's hard to know that. Mm-hmm. And if I can go back to my freshman self, that would be, you know. But learning that is trial it's trial and error. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean that's learning it experientially. I mean, you could tell you know, could tell somebody that you gotta go through it. Well that'd be the thing, is like young me would look at me and be like, listen, old guy, I don't know what your issue is. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't get what's most important. You don't understand what family is about. Right. Like, oh, no, I know family. Mm-hmm. What you think is family is not family because all these people disappear really quick when, you know, things get a little bit challenging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and the people that you don't think are your family, professors, whatever, the ones who actually mm-hmm. be there when you need them. Right, yeah. right. So, mm-hmm. I mean, so I think that, would, I mean, but I think that I, I, not to turn the tables on you, but like, if you had to pick one of your four years, which year would you go back to and talk to your younger self? Hmm. It's, yeah, it's hard, it's you know, because you always think about the butterfly effect. Right. Where, like one little change would you yeah. know, completely alter right. where you are now. Um, 
I think it'd be similar to what you, you said. Do you have an appointment? Oh, all right. Yeah, similar to what you said, you know, where social is important, yeah. you know, but it's not the only thing. You know, I know um, I was pre-med going in and I was pre-med for the first two years. And, um, you know, just going into college, didn't really know what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to help people in some capacity. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, become a doctor, you know, and then going through that whole process, I joined like pre-med clubs and went on, uh, you know, conference trips and things like that. And what I saw was that where I had a passion to help people, my peers had passions to become doctors. And I guess the first couple of years were a time of really discerning that those are two different things, you know, where not to say that they don't want to help people, but right. they know yeah. they know the method. Exactly. They know how they want to do it. I know. Yeah. I just knew the end. I didn't know the means yet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, I'm not sure if I would tell uh, myself that yeah, because, you know, yeah, it's all the mistakes that you make in life are. I don't, I don't even know if they are mistakes. They're just one step of the journey. Yeah. Well, they should. I mean, like, so there's a Norwegian, proverb, which is pretty common, I think, in most traditions. To the Norwegian. The Norwe- there's, a, there's a Norwegian proverb, which mm. there are no mistakes. Mm. As long as you learn something, That's something's real. Yeah. I mean, you know, because if I went back to talk to my, my freshman self uh, at the University of Iowa, I probably would have graduated from the University of Iowa. Mm-hmm. Um, I was interested in religious studies. Whether I would have or would not have gone to seminary, which was advice I got when I graduated from a different school, mm-hmm. you know, is, is really sort of up in the air. Like, what would I have done? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was other things I became interested in along the way. Law was one of them. I mean, who knows? Um, yeah, it is the butterfly effect, isn't it? Yeah. You know? Would the three of us be sitting in this room? Why? Well, if I hadn't gone to seminary, like, would I have met my wife? Right. You know, right. I met my wife, I wouldn't have my kid. You know, so it's like, yeah. it's hard to know. Right, right. You know, how different life would be. I mean, even, I, you know, I was thinking about this, uh, you know, I had a significant relationship that fell apart uh, as I entered into the ministry that was impacting me when I, when I came into the ministry or whatever. Um, if, that relationship, if, if that relationship hadn't been what it was, would I have been with someone else and married someone else, even given all of the other circumstances being the same? And if I had, what were the likelihood of me ever moving to DC? Because right. you know, I moved to DC um, in part because my girlfriend, now my wife, mm-hmm. was here in DC. Yeah. So would I have? I would, you know, I'd be a parish pastor in, in Buffalo or somewhere in upstate New York if it hadn't been for some of these circumstances. So you know, it's always hard, right? That butterfly effect. Mm-hmm. I mean, even to this day, like you know, sort of. For as fully formed as students want to believe I am, it's still sort of, uh, I tell people all the time, and I'm, I'm half joking, half not, like I'm still trying to figure out what I'm going to be when I grow up. Right, right. There's an openness to that. So, so what are you going to be when you grow up? Retired. <laughs> <laughs> I'll probably still be rebel. I don't know, you know, we'll see what the day takes me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What about you, Father Great? Could probably still be a Jesuit. <laughs> I just I want to be I want I want a lightsaber. Mm. That would be cool. Can I have a Millennium Falcon? You can, can have be Millennium Han, Falcon. Be Han Solo. You can be Han Solo. No, I don't, but I, I don't want the ending of Han Solo. I was just thinking like I don't want, I don't want to have that sort of relationship with one of my boys. No, no. You don't want. You don't want. <laughs> I know I'm getting you really technical. Right, right. I'm getting really technical. <laughs> but I really like the spaceship. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, if you 
if you could give one action item to a Georgetown student where they could be atheist, Christian, Muslim, anything, one action item that you believe could better their life, what would it be? I, you know, I think it'd be, I think every student, boy, that's a tough one. I mean, my first reaction is to say that every student should have coffee and a conversation with a chaplain at the university. Mm. Every single one of them. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter which chaplain. Right, right. Um, because there's, there's an opportunity to like, you know, have a conversation about like your understanding of the world, but also sort of the, those deeper heart questions that I was thinking of. I think you're missing something at Georgetown. I'm, and I'm, and this is particularly this space. You're missing something at Georgetown if you don't take advantage of the Jesuit heritage of the university and explore what Jesuit discernment looks like. Mm. And so I was going to say, yeah. you know, um, going on one of the retreats, just one of the overnights, yeah. escape or one of the other ones. Um, and I recognize that there's that question of non-religious, religious components mm -hmm. in that. But the idea of dwelling deeply in your heart um, and having the space physical and otherwise to explore how the Jesuits at least have developed sort of um, the exercises think about that you know the Jesuit exercises right, the right. exercises of dwelling deeply in your heart mm -hmm. I think would be the one thing I think if, if if I could tell every student you need to go on some sort of retreat where you have the opportunity to experience Jesuit discernment mm -hmm. because I think in the long run of the um, of the things you can have in your toolbox that yeah. you can fall back on, mm -hmm. it's that that experience, the memory of it, the materials from it, or whatever, for those moments in your life when you're having to make difficult decisions, right? Because right. most of life, like the challenging decisions, are never like a yes or a no. It's always competing goods. Right. 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 It's like there's no like. There's nothing wrong with being a doctor. There's nothing wrong with being an accountant. Mm. Um, you know, it's choosing between two goods. And so being able to dwell, like be able to like have at least learn one way of listening to your heart through the exercises, I think becomes really important. So if like I could give one piece of advice, yeah. the one experience that everyone should have, it should be on some sort of retreat. Mm. Um, in which you have an experience of the exercises, of some component of the exercises, even if it's just, um, you know, uh, uh, yeah, the exam. That's, and that's exactly, that was, that was my, everything you were just saying. And when you asked the question, Jordan, mm -hmm. you know, because I always tell students, both on retreats as well as here, you know, create the space to allow yourself to just be mm -hmm. and to listen. To listen to what's going on, and I, you know, I said, yeah, you know, and, and yes, a retreat is a very explicit and important way of doing that. But I tell you, know, there are spaces all over our campus, mm. you know, or near the campus, you know, be it down, you know, walk along the canal, or you know, go to Copley Crypt, or place I love is the uh, the the garden by the observatory. Yeah. There is just although there's all the physical plants up there but still it's just you know there are these spaces to allow yourself again that space to reflect on again to go back to what we we're talking you know where have i been where am i where am i going mm -hmm. 
you know, again, we see all the, you know, the uh, Jesuit uh, banners, the blue banners, and we talk about being contemplatives in action. Uh, we're good at the active part. <laughs> the contemplative part is a little more challenging, but it's necessary if we want to act really with our full self. Mm -hmm. And we're not just making rash decisions and choices, right, right. but really being mindful and reflective as to where am I, where am I? What moved me today? What, what, what didn't move me today? Yeah. You know, to be able to, to, to carve out, we carve out space for all sorts of stuff, you know, and, and Revo, you talked about, we call it the spiritual exercises, just exercises. It's like physical exercise, you know, you get in that, you make it routine and habitual. Right. And there might be those moments where, you know what, I, I really don't feel like doing this. Mm -hmm you know, this hurts, <laughs> or it's just boring, or whatever the case may be. But when you make it habitual, then you realize, I need this each day. Mm. I know there was a, a quote or something, and I'm paraphrasing, but basically they say that when you have space to reflect on, you know, what's going on in your life, it's like being the general in a war as opposed to being on the front lines and just everything's happening around you right. and you just have to react to everything. Whereas the general, they step back and you can actually survey, right. you know, your situation and proactively like choose what you actually want to do instead of just going, right. you know, wherever the wind takes you. Thanks. So. Absolutely.